Stopping Depression in Its Tracks. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Stephen Clark. Tommy Raskin seemed to have it all. A popular and brilliant young man, he was a graduate of Amherst College and a student at Harvard Law School. The alma mater of both his mother and father, Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin. His father said that while his 25-year-old son had a photographic memory, what marked him as extraordinary was his heart. Madison Holleran, a beautiful young woman who was an athlete, top student, and all-round star at her Bergen County High School, also seemed to have it all when she went on to study and compete in track at the University of Pennsylvania. Yet both Madison's and Tommy's stories have dark endings. Both committed suicide after bouts with severe depression. With us today to discuss depression and suicide is Dr. Daniel Roman, a psychiatrist at SBH Health System. Welcome, Dr. Roman. Thank you. Sure. So, so Dr. Roman, we've heard of older people who get sick or end up in financial ruin or feel isolated or lonely who commit suicide. But how is it possible that people who seem to have it all to live for commit such acts? That's an interesting question. People who seem to have it all uh, is the key, uh, you know, the wording there, seem. So we seem from outside doesn't mean much. A successful career, uh, successful from outside family uh, life or personal life, uh, it's all relative. There are people who don't share a lot about their feelings to even the most, the, the people most uh, close to them. You know, there are many examples uh, from successful singers, uh, fashion designers. So the answer is that we do not know that they had perfect lives at all. It seems, you know, just just success doesn't make a life perfect. Are, are there warning signs, though, when you hear about a story like this? Is there anything that you can look at either in the present or in, you know, in the future that would signal, gee, something... They may not be right here. There are uh, many, many times, uh, you know, uh, people are not aware of those. Usually it can be a change, uh, a change in personality or changing behavior, even in social situations. A very good indicator could be, and I had several patients who actually uh, tried to do that uh, or did that, um, uh, is uh, giving belongings or making big donations or, you know, all of uh, something that is unusual or very sudden that is unexpected that can be a sign for that. For example, someone who is uh, divorced and, uh, you know, would, uh, would deposit a lot of money into, uh, into a child's account, the child not living with them. Other uh, other warning signs, tr- drastic changes in mood can, or, or, or mood uh, s- switching very quickly. Deep depression, uh, not being able to, to go to work or, or not e- being able to function well at work as well as uh, before. Risky behavior also can be a, can be a, a factor. And uh, really a warning sign that is more acute uh, that can happen is uh, let's say someone goes through a period of uh, agitation or anger or a lot of anxiety that is visible, uh, noticeable from uh, for, for people around them, and all of a sudden they seem very calm, and it's it's a change from from agitation anxiety to something that looks good. It's it's usually a sign that they may be contemplating suicide. They may be researching. You know, they found some peace because of that idea itself. 
Is it typically an incident that triggers it, or is it something that you're just sort of born with? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I don't think anyone is born with uh, with uh, with the ability to commit suicide. Many times, it's uh, many times uh, they have been uh, going through depression, and most of the time, they can be an acute trigger. Depends on how much they they prepare for it. So, an acute loss. Having a medical condition is, uh, I forgot to mention that earlier, is also a risk factor. Actually, if you, if you don't mind, I'll speak a little bit about what are some of the risks, uh, higher risks for, for someone to commit suicide. A trigger can be a medical illness, can be a loss of someone dear, can be a financial hardship, loss of a job. Any of these, uh, you know, things that uh, would um, stress, you know, the general public. Patients with depression are more fragile to those to those classes, and they, their coping skills are uh, exhausted, I guess, at, at that time. Now, of course, there's a genetic component to having depression. That's true. Depression runs in a family. In general, med, uh, mental illness runs in the families. All of them, bipolar disorder, depression, schizophrenia. So if you have someone, uh, one of the parents who suffer from depression, you are, as uh, the child, more at risk. Of depression. Is there a certain age when depression becomes visible? You know, is, is it in your early adulthood? Is it later? Is it earlier? Actually, depression can uh, can start early, can start late. Depression, what we call clinical depression without any, any big trigger, usually starts earlier than the other one. Uh, and it makes sense, yes? So a big trauma or a big stress would make uh, most people suffer in some way doesn't have to be depression, but people are going to react. What we call depression um, without meeting the criteria for clinical depression is called adjustment. Adjustment disorder is an adjustment to something that is going to make uh, you upset or stressed out. I read somewhere that there were three times the amount of depression that occurred during the pandemic than there had in the past. Are you seeing that among your patients at all? Are you seeing more depression? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think so. I didn't really count numbers, but a big compounding factor here is the fact that, uh, at least at our hospital, there are fewer patients coming in uh, the medical uh, emergency room, which is where you, we get our patients from. The census in emergency room is uh, half or even less. So we've been functioning with a little bit of a lower census compared to normal. So, you know, what I see is not really a good, a good indicator of uh, more depression. I assume there are more people who are depressed and anxious and more suicides right now. Uh, I think this uh, situation is affecting all of us, the ones who have mental illness or not. So I'm sure that the patients with depression suffer more because of this isolation, uh, the stress, the fear, and all of that are factors that are added to their baseline depression. Are, are, are certain people in general more susceptible to depression or more susceptible to, you know, quote, you know, from a layman's perspective, falling apart if things don't go right than others are? Yes. I mean, we have what are called the high uh, risk categories of people for suicide, and I can mention a few of them. So males uh, commit suicide about four times more than women. Being single is considered a risk factor, single or divorced, or not being in a meaningful relationship or being socially isol uh, isolated. All of these are, are pretty significant risk factor. 
Again, um, having medical, debilitating medical illness is a factor. Recent uh, important loss uh, is a factor. Having a weapon in the house is considered a risk factor. Age is also very important. So the highest uh, risk patients are white men above 70 years old. Okay, but that means if you're 25 years old, like these two people I talked about initially, who again seem to have it all, so to speak, they don't seem to be likely candidates for suicide, but yet you see that as well. These are just statistics. You can be someone with none of the risk factors and still, and still do it. Okay, so again, how do you treat it? You know, if you, if you see somebody has depression, you know, maybe they've even talked about suicide. How do you typically treat that patient? Or what are some of the ways they can treat that patient? First of all, the first uh, step is to engage them with treatment. They need to see someone at a clinic somewhere. It can be a private, a private practice, can be a, a clinic uh, affiliated with a hospital. But we shouldn't forget that many times depression remains untreated because of stigma associated with mental illness, because of a variety of factors. So that's the first step, is to be in treatment. Some patients uh, would benefit from an antidepressant. Some patients would benefit from therapy. Some patients would benefit from both. But being in treatment is the first step, and it's a very important step. Some patients need to be admitted to the hospital and, and spend some time in the hospital, especially. There's a rule if someone attempted suicide, no matter what the circumstances are, usually, if, of course, if someone brings them to the hospital or calls 911, they are usually end up admitted because it's considered very, it's a high risk. And the policy of any hospital in this country is to admit someone with rare exceptions. If they are done uh, due to intoxication or right. uh, drugs or things like that. So you're still finding that there's a stigma in getting treated for mental health whether it's depression or some other mental health illness, there's still a stigma about seeking treatment. You're still finding that to be the case. Absolutely. There still is. Depends on many factors. Depends on ethnicity, where you are from, where you live. But yes, overall, there is. It's improving. And I think overall in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years uh, awareness in the society in general, the population uh, at large uh, about uh, mental illness and how debilitating it can be is increasing, is improving a lot, but there's still a lot of stigma. People don't want to be seen as vulnerable. That applies to all of us. You know, admitting that you have a mental illness is admitting that you need to be treated for something. And it's a little more delicate you know, to admit to have to, to have something wrong with your mind, then let's say high blood pressure or diabetes. Okay, are we seeing here in the Bronx? Are you seeing that in specific ethnicities, this stigma where they don't want to get treatment? Is it? I, I know years ago it was in the Spanish community. Are you still seeing that? I think so. I think so. Yes. Yes, and but more more so, uh, we have patients sometimes from Asia, from India, let's say, or uh, or, or or Pakistan, or uh, even more stigma there. I from from what I see. Okay, how how successful is treatment when it's given, you know, early enough? Does it work? Yes, that's a good question. It works on some patients. It doesn't work as well on others. It depends. Antidepressants have a success rate of. I mean, I'm saying a really rough number. It depends on the specific medication, but 40, 45%. So it's not that high. Placebo is about 30%. So placebo means you're not getting any medication. So that's also high if you combine uh, with a therapy, which is also 
you know, considered to be very effective, the success rate I- improves. Is it close to 80%, 90%? Absolutely not. But you never know without trying. It's high enough that it's encouraging and people should be in treatment for that. Is it fair to say that many of these people, for many of these people, it's a lifelong battle? Depression, it doesn't just come and go, or it doesn't go away. It's it's there for the, the long period? Yes, it is. It's considered a chronic illness and people should be in treatment for, for the long run, yes. It doesn't okay. come and go usually. Once diagnosed with clinical depression, it's pretty much lifelong condition. It can go in remission with treatment and it can get much better, but left untreated, chances are that it's going to come back. And that is a reason for, um, you know, usually when we decide to start someone on antidepressant, it's continued for at least a year. So it's not you feel better in two, three months and you stop it. It's, uh, there's a high risk of recurrence or if treated because sometimes patients do not respond to the same medication or they need a higher dose. Even treated, it can still, you can still have a recurrence of depression. It's something that you monitor on an ongoing basis, treatment, right? Yeah. So again, if someone may work with a certain medication today, you may have to change it a year yes. down the road. Or okay. Absolutely, yes. So it's a it's a constant battle, and something that as a psychiatrist you're going to you're on all the time, and you're seeing your patients on an ongoing basis to see if this treatment still works for them. Yes, is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yes, usually once a month. Sometimes if the patients are very stable, uh, they can be seen once every two or three months. It depends on how acute the case is, but the treatment usually doesn't stop. Okay. Well, Dr. Roman, thank you for a few minutes today on SBH Bronx Health Talk. We really appreciate it. If someone needs help, I want to give the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number, which is 800-273-TALK. Talk. That's 800-273-TALK or 8255. You can also text a crisis counselor by messaging the crisis text line at 741-741. For more information on services available at SBH Health System, visit www.sbhny.org. Until next time, thank you. Thank you.